everybody, this is Chuck. And I'm Buck. And this is the Buck and Chuck Gaming Connection. And today we're going to be talking about video game collecting, be it stores we used to frequent uh, back in the day when we were trying to find discount deals or just new games in general when they came out. And we're also going to talk about some of our favorite items that we picked up, be it just, you know, like maybe presents that we got uh, from family members that were important to us, games that we found out in the wild that were a huge surprise, uh, be it if they were too expensive uh, normally, and we found them for a discounted price. It's always fun. Yeah, definitely. And we either, like Chuck was saying, either games that mean a lot to us personally, not necessarily worth a lot, or ones that we did find that, you know, are worth a significant amount of money, like your entire, you know, 500-game Super Nintendo collection you had there. It is a big collection. Glorious, absolutely. So, Buck, what are some of your favorite game stores that you used to go to? Ah, favorites. We'll start way back in the day. Um, before there was a GameStop around, it was a good old Funko Land, actually. It was kind of the the first game store, really, of its kind like that. I remember that sold uh, used games along with new releases there. You could get, I mean, I first started going there probably in the, the mid to late 90s there. And you, by that time, of course, the the PlayStation already come out with Saturn 64. But you could actually buy regular NES games or even back to Atari 2600 there. So it was a really cool store at the time. This is, you know, before the Internet was huge and eBay and everything. So there wasn't really a, a good place to get older games like that. And that was my first experience with it. Oh, this is also back when malls were a thing. And they were actually worth going to. That's true. Funko Land was a great stop, along with KB Toys. Those were basically the only two places I ever really went, especially back in those days, uh, late 90s specifically. I don't know exactly when Funko Land kind of left the scene, but I think it was at uh, the late 90s. Yeah, late 90s, if not um, around 2000 maybe. But, yeah, I'd say by the late 90s, uh, EB Games and uh, – and Babbage's were becoming a thing there and kind of taking over all the spots in the malls that I can remember. And, yeah, now that you mentioned KB Toys, I didn't even think about that. Man, I missed that place. Yeah, KB Toys was cool because if you liked action figures and you liked video games, besides, absolutely, besides Toys R Us, that was the place to go. And KB, uh, as far as looking at, uh, what kind of video games they had. KB Toys was not great in the fact that they used to keep all of their games behind the counter. So as a little kid, sometimes it was hard to actually see what they had, especially if you were super short and super young. And that was one of the benefits of the Funko Lands, the Babbage's, the Electronic Boutiques, and to a lesser ex- extent now, what GameStop has become. The games are on the shelves, and they have bargain bins in the middle of the aisles, and you can walk through and you can touch all the games before you buy them. For better or worse. <laughs> yes, some people need to wash their hands. <laughs> That's true. And uh, while we're kind of on this subject, I just want to shift over a little bit to Toys R Us. And if you remember, uh, way back in the day, you had to grab the slip, and they actually had like a printed-off copy of the front and back of the box art. So you kind of see what you were looking at, and then you actually had to take the slip up to the counter to actually get the game. And then pray that they actually had it. <laughs> That's true, too. It, each slip was supposed to represent uh, one game in their inventory, but that was not always how that worked. 
No, but I did get one of my uh, favorite finds ever there with uh, Dragon Ball GT Final Bout on the PlayStation. What a good um, game I, that was. Yeah, the game was terrible, but um, before the Dragon Ball boom right when it started, I got that game back in 97, which was before it ever came on Tsunami, because I was a, a big nerd back in the day and had Dragon Ball Z VHS tapes. But uh, I got that game, and um, even though it was uh, hot garbage, I still loved playing it there, and there weren't really any Dragon Ball games for us in the States there. So once uh, DBZ blew up, it became huge, and I ended up, I'm flipping the game in 2001 for a little over $300 and got a Game Boy Advance and some other goodies with it, so definitely a good time. Worthwhile investment in your youth. Yeah, sure. for sure. From like 30 bucks to 300 Yeah, Toys R Us, I, I don't remember getting a whole lot of items from Toys R Us. I did. Back in my day, I didn't buy a whole lot of action figures, not, not nearly as many as you did. That's uh, true. But, but the few games that I did buy uh, were typically Super Nintendo games. Uh, well after the heyday of the Super Nintendo, I was I was a late bloomer when it came to each console generation. I was always probably at least two to four years behind, which was great for collecting because I could pick up mounds of games uh, for the price that you could buy one or two. And I remember my first purchase at a Toys R Us uh, with my own money uh, it was after I got my Super Nintendo and I bought Super Mario RPG, one of the best games on that console. And I remember yeah. I I paced down uh, around the electronics department trying to decide if I wanted to buy it, which is maddening to me now. I was just like, do, <laughs> do I want to spend $30 on this game? Because I think that's how much it was at that time. And there you go. I think that was the first game I actually ever bought for my Super Nintendo, and I couldn't have been happier once I got home and played it. I can't remember. Did you borrow that game from me when you initially played it, or did you just buy it straight off from that Toys R Us there? I bought it straight off. I, the games that I borrowed from you, because when I got my Super Nintendo, I didn't actually have any games. Buck was a nice guy, and let me borrow a few games, which were, I believe, Mario Kart, Mega Man X, and... Super Punch-Out, maybe? Could be. I'm not actually sure. I remember I got Super Punch-Out later, and that will actually be a separate conversation that we have on the podcast. But, All right. I'm ready for it. Yeah, I mean, we we got a few. I'd like. There's actually a couple other stores uh, we can talk about. Uh, I know, Buck, I don't know how big of a fan you are of, of GameStop now. I think they probably get a little more heat than they deserve these days, but I don't love the, the monopoly of, of, of video game shopping experience that they've brought to the table in the recent years. And anymore, too, I think they almost have uh, too much fluff in there and not enough regular, you know, just straight-up video games. Just merchandise. Yeah, there's a ton of merchandise in there. You got your like Pokemon Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh cards. You got um, tons of Funko Pops, which uh, me and my wife have started collecting lately. So I do usually check those out. But yeah, they just have um, T-shirts and everything else there, and not a ton of games. And anytime anyone has a monopoly, I mean, you're gonna be gonna be a little despised there. And uh, for better or worse, I do think there are some reasons why um, GameStop's not a great experience. I was just in one today, and they come at you like a used car used car lot there and, you know, try and swarm you and see what you're interested in. If you just want to actually look around there, it's it's kind of annoying. 
Yeah, it, it's really frustrating. I, the, the last couple of times I've been there, all of them will greet you when you walk in the door. One will bum rush you. Yeah, no, I mean, it's fine. They ask you, uh, can I help you get anything? That's fine. After I tell the first person that I don't need help, I don't want everybody else in the store coming up to me every five, ten minutes asking me, and then if I don't need help, they continue to ask me what kind of games I'm into and suggest games. Now, <laughs> yeah, that's the worst. And then they'll, they'll start telling me about the games that they've played, which I can appreciate that to a certain extent. Like, I like talking about video games. If I, if I worked in a video game store, I'm sure I'd want to do that. And I know that trying to make those sales are, you know, part of their job description. And I know GameStop's pretty crap about that, especially with how they treat a lot of their employees and the demands they have on them, you know, selling their power-up rewards cards and things like that. Yeah, I haven't heard good things from people that have worked there, just about the company in general. But, I mean, if I come up to the counter... And I'm buying just like Octopath Traveler, for instance. You probably don't want to try and shove a Black Ops 4 pre-order onto me because it's probably not going to be the same crossover appeal there. No, I mean, it never is. But that those those are the games that they always try to sell. Oh, you're buying a JRPG? We got Battlefield Five coming up for you. It's like, oh, you know, that's okay. Yeah, yeah they, thought, they thought through that one. They used the good old noggin. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, I'm sure they have a script that they have to go according to because they have to meet their pre-order requirements on said games, and I'm sure there's I'm sure there's a computer list that holds them accountable for that, which sucks. And I'm not actually blaming most of the employees. I think it's just kind of the culture there that kind of breeds what I think is intolerable sales environment. Yeah, because I mean, like you said, they're doing their job. That's what they're they're paid to do. Yeah, and probably underpaid. Most but, likely. But, that, but that's not important to the conversation here. And actually, one of the things that I always appreciated much more about the, the older stores, Funko Land, Electronics Boutique, is they always had a much larger collection of even games from one, like two to three generations before. So, like, during the PS2 era, you could still find Super Nintendo not necessarily so much so many Nintendo games. I mean, they did have to they did have to call it quits eventually, but you could find a vast array of different console generations worth of games to buy. Yeah, and no, I mean, for retro gamers and people that collect like us, I mean, you're not necessarily always looking for you know PS4, Xbox One games. You might, I mean, we like to buy Super Nintendo, PS1, Saturn, whatever the case may be, and it's nice to have that you know at your disposal there. Yeah, I mean, I'm dumb enough to buy all the games that come out for those systems, you know, on day one. Waste my time, a lot of regrettable buys there, especially uh, this generation. But that's on me, not on the stores. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, one of my favorite things to do was all, always go to the, the, the bargain bin, if you will, and just flip through loose cartridges, loose boxes. And sometimes you, you just find that, that gem of a game, you know whether it's 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 worth a lot of money and you want to flip it. I don't I don't suggest people do that because that gets copies you know away from people who actually want to play the game and people who want to appreciate it instead of just getting out you know on eBay and it just keeps getting upsold. 
Um, yeah, I mean, and I mean, neither one of us is typically a game flipper there. I think the only game I already talked about, Dragon Ball GT, I did flip because it was going for a fortune at the time. But other than that, I mean, I'm a collector. I don't typically flip games. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of a game I've actually sold, and and even even on top of selling, actually trading in. I've never done that. That's you know, that's the the most ridiculous you know scam and thing I think anyone could do would actually be to trade in their games there for pennies on the dollar. Yeah, from what I've heard, the only time that that is actually even semi lucrative is if, is if you do it like within the first couple weeks of the game coming out. So you you may as well rent it at that point. Yeah, because even at that point, even if they give you thirty bucks, I mean, you paid sixty for it. Yeah. So you're paying. It's like a twenty. It's like a twenty to thirty dollar rental, and then they take it and they flip it for five fifty, five dollars off used copy. And even yeah. sometimes they sell the used copies for more. Yeah, that's great when you find that in GameStop. You see the used one for like forty bucks, and the new one's twenty. No, absolutely. And I think the thing that actually annoys me most about GameStop, especially from a collector standpoint, I'm sure any collector runs into this: going to GameStop, getting a new game. They give it to you, and it's already open. They give you yeah. the, the gutted oh. copy that they had to put out on the shelf. And I'm pretty sure I'm cursed in that. Every time I buy a new game at GameStop, which I don't typically like to do because of that, it's always the last copy there. Well, I know why that's the case. Yeah, I think the biggest reason is because both of us don't typically buy a lot of uh, a lot of popular. Or yeah, yeah. So the games we buy are a little bit more unique, especially when it gets to, like, the RPGs or things like that. And they probably only get, like, one or two copies of it. I know when I went to my GameStop, the last time I went was probably maybe two months ago. I went and I wanted to get the new uh, Shantae game for the Switch, and they had a limited edition for it that had just come out, and I bought it. And uh, they said that they only got one copy. So, so, so games like that... Uh, even even for the newest console, even for the Switch, the hottest console out there right now, they they don't get many copies for those kinds of games. So yeah, that's so, true. If they get two copies in, and back when we did live in the same town, like if you got to it before I did, then I'm screwed with the other copies. So yeah, it's a tragedy. True <laughs> tragedy. Did you ever do much shopping at Best Buy? Um, I mean. Yes and no. It just depends. I really just shop the sales at Best Buy there. I mean, honestly, saying that, I did just get um, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze there the other day, which is a great game. Yeah, but, that's one of your favorites. I know that. Yeah, one of the, my favorite series for sure, Donkey Kong Country. But yeah, I mean, I wasn't a not a huge guy there for games unless something's on sale. Yeah, and their sales are not necessarily as rare as rare as a Walmart or a Kmart, but m very often they hold on to their games for too long. I remember the exception was uh, during the PlayStation 2, Xbox, and GameCube era. They used to have some reasonable discounts for those consoles, as well as when the P PSP was pretty big, uh, kind of like halfway through the life cycle, they started releasing a whole bunch of games, and you could find quite a few 10 to $20 PSP games. And I did buy my Dreamcast there, too, so that's definitely worth noting there. The Dreamcast, they had on sale for, I believe, I want to say I got it for like $99. Yeah, 
This was back in, uh, I was a late adopter to Dreamcast, so this was back in 2001, but still one of my favorite consoles there. I'll say, did you get yours after me? I think I got mine shortly before you, I want to say. See, I picked mine up at Walmart. It was a memorable sure, day, I but... I got mine in, at Best Buy, and then it was around uh, my birthday in 2001, and then we played uh, Marvel vs. Capcom for a while, and then I think you bought one shortly after that. Because I was really hoping to play Marvel vs. Capcom 2, and the first one just wasn't cutting it for me. That's, <laughs> sure. that's what it was. But then again, I didn't get Marvel vs. Capcom 2 for probably five to six months after that, and I think you even got that game before I did. Yeah, I got it. It was one of the games I actually got with my Dreamcast when I got it there at Best yeah. Buy. Yeah, that's right. It was a system seller for me. Sure. One of my memories of Best Buy was... For all of the things that they had that were overpriced uh, most of the time, one thing that they had, if you were a collector of players' guides, and this is uh, a memory uh, that I have from when me and my dad would go out and go on our adventures, as we called them, we would go out to the Best Buys, and they would just penny out their players' guides. So you could just find stacks and stacks of, Usually pretty generic guides, mostly for for shooters or, or for your your Mario games, things like that. But they would be they would just be trying to get rid of them, basically giving them away for a penny. And we would we would hoard those. <laughs> We'd hoard I feel those. Like good uh, RPGs for the PS One. I feel like you have a strategy guide for them. So I do. Uh, I don't think that was how we got most of those, but we did get some pretty cool ones like that. And actually, the best thing that came out of getting those guys uh, is another good memory. We went on a uh, family vacation to Florida uh, a couple years in a row. And one of the years, we took a bunch of those guys with us, which is, you know, something you would naturally just pack for a family vacation, you know, <laughs> 100, 200 players' guys. Oh, and and a, as we were used to going to uh, a lot of flea markets in the area, and they have a ton of them in Florida. It's ridiculous. Also great for finding cheap games. We would we would take the we would we would go to the flea markets and we would look through their guides and if we found some we'd want, say it was this is actually where we got a lot of the RPG ones. Let's say I found a player's guide for like the original Alondra, for example. We would offer we would go into the car and we would offer them, you know, five guides for that one. We picked up those guides for a penny. And they would give us that they thought I don't know if they thought that they were ripping us off or they thought that that was a good deal. We basically gave them guys that they wouldn't be able to sell for probably three or four dollars. I mean, that's genius. No, it was genius. I, I don't think I would have thought of that. I know Dad did. <laughs> Master Hagler, if you will. But yeah, that was that was that was cool. That's yeah, that's how we got a lot of our more uncommon ones. So, but flea markets are great. I know you've got a lot of experience with those. Yeah, flea markets for sure. I mean, the local flea market, the closest one um, around where we grew up, was around Louisville, Kentucky. And I found all kinds of gems at flea markets there. I mean, and you want to what you want to do at a flea market though is you want to find someone who doesn't know what they have. Otherwise, you're in trouble. Yeah, that's. I want to say back in those days, it was easier to do that. I feel like a lot of people now that set up their shops are much more uh, informed, mostly probably because of the internet and how quick it is to find the prices on on games or just anything in general. Uh, with as as commonplace as resellers are, uh, yeah, and video it doesn't surprise. At that time, were a lot more niche too. I mean, there were 
not everybody. It was kind of a, still a lot more nerd culture than it is now and not really mainstream. Well, so, yeah, and the, pri- and the prices had to shut up. Yeah, because I know I got, um, like, Burning Rangers on the Saturn, which I think goes for a few hundred dollars now, was like $5, and it was complete there. And I didn't even have a Saturn at the time, but I still picked it up, so. And I'm sure you still have it. I do still have it. And it's, there you uh, go. Not my favorite game ever, but it's definitely a good collector's item there for sure. I was gonna say it's a it's a pretty unique game, but and I know from the uh, back in the day when I used to read reviews on it, a lot of people liked it, or a lot of the, the magazines did. But uh, that's definitely a good find. Uh, yeah, flea, mar- flea, flea markets are definitely interesting for the fact that flea markets, unlike a game store, you're sifting through a lot of crap, a lot of. Uh, so many different sellers just selling like new cheap stuff or you know just endless amounts of CDs and movies uh toys the toys were more interesting than those but you definitely had to kind of know the flea markets which which ones were the best in your town and then you had to know uh which one of the sellers to hit up and try to get there early in the day it's not as bad as going to like a swap meet which is something that I don't think I've ever been to, but I know a lot of people. <laughs> I've never really been to a swap meet. Right. But I know that a lot of people who, who like to get games on the, the really, really low end, that's, uh, that, that's one of the ways they do that. They go, they go early in the day, and they just buy everything that everybody doesn't know that they have is worth anything. So, But, yeah, flea markets nowadays are – I'd say they're definitely better than trying to maybe go to – a mom and pop game store because the chances are you'll probably find a better deal. Like you yeah. said, the the ignorance is is where you'll find the good deals. Yes, exactly. The mom and pop game stores, if they're actual game store, then they know what they have. Right, and and I'm glad they do. And I'd actually rather buy it from them, even for a little bit more, because I want them to stay in business, even though I know it's a it's a tough road right now, which is so unfortunate because a lot of those are really cool. And and finding one of those in a random strip mall is a joy. Yeah, and there's just something kind of cool about, you know, just a, a random SNES game you might be looking for to find it there in person at a store versus, you know, just buy it now on eBay. It's just a, a little bit of a different experience. It's really cool just to kind of find it in the wild there, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's that's kind of a hard thing to describe to someone who doesn't who isn't actually a collector, even though I think a lot of people are naturally collectors of something. I think it's just human nature. I don't yeah. know why. I don't know why, but <laughs> uh, but video games recently have become much more of a much more of a high stakes uh, collection phenomena. You, you look at the Super Nintendo games, Genesis games, and even on the lower end, sixty four games right now. It's just crazy. I would have what never it, guessed. What it is a lot is. Um... If you want to, our generation or whatever you want to call it, people um, that are getting, they're into careers now and they have some money and disposable income and they're wanting to get their youth back. So they're, they're buying back, you know, the games they grew up with for the Super Nintendo, you know, Genesis, um, to a smaller extent, 64 and PlayStation, because that's what I would call our era there, too. That's really what we grew up with. And now that we're, you know, making decent money there and have a little bit of disposable income, it's driving up the market. Yes, and it's infuriating. <laughs> it is. It's kind of infuriating. Fortunately, we never got rid of our games, so it's much less infuriating for us. 
we actually already have most of the games that we want. We, we picked yeah. them up when they were cheaper. Uh, there, there's a, there's a handful that I wish I would have picked up. Hazard uh, Dragoon Saga would have been, would be nice to have. Yes. While that game is expensive, it's also pretty good. Seems interesting. Yeah, it'd be cool just to play. Yeah. And I've never found one of those at a garage sale. <laughs> That's true. So, segue, segue, segue. Garage <laughs> sales, I, I used to, me and my dad used to go to pretty much any type of store there was to, to look for a deal. Uh, and garage sales are even more so than flea markets, just the biggest crapshoots. I mean, if you want baby clothes, I mean, you're in the money because that's at every one of them. But I don't, th- I don't think you ever spent too much time going to garage sales, did you? No, I didn't spend too much time going to those. I mean, if we did, it was to look for um, old wrestling action figures for me and my brother would look for, not really video games. That'd be way back in the day. So, um, But I just know from, from personal experience there, I know uh, my wife had several uh, games for PlayStation and PS2 growing up, and I believe that her family sold most of those in garage sales, and they probably had for probably for pennies on the dollar, and they could have gotten a, a decent value there from it. And I think she's kicking herself a little bit that uh, seeing the, the game collection we have now, and like, wow, we just basically gave those away. Well, that's just a part of parenthood and growing up, too. I mean, most parents will, un- unless they want to hoard everything that their children have forever, they, they tend to do that eventually. And it, it's always, most a lot of things from, you know, children's past will eventually become collectible at some point. So it, it, it's tough that uh, those things can't necessarily get saved. But, I mean, if people who uh, bought those, picked those up at a garage sale, hopefully, I mean, they went to a good home, a home yeah. that will appreciate them and not just try to flip them. But I think that's that's all too common now. Yeah, so and that that I would actually say even more so than people wanting to relive their 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 glory days. Uh, let's say on the Nintendo Entertainment System, it's those resellers that are jacking up the prices, or it may just be a perfect storm of the two. I think it's going to be a combination of both because there has to be demand there too. Because if no one wanted them back for the nostalgia or whatever, then the resellers wouldn't be able to flip them for a lot of money there. So I'd say it's the the perfect storm combo there. Yeah, it's our fault. We just should have kept our games. <laughs> Basically, yes, absolutely. And then the last uh, source of games that I used to spend some time looking at uh, were pawn shops. And I know that you spent some time at pawn shops too, but those were usually uh, the biggest waste of time. Yeah, there's only a couple I remember. Uh, I know I got Persona 2 for the PS1 I picked up for like $3 at a pawn shop, which was definitely one of the Probably the best find I ever had there at a pawn shop. And it was complete with everything in both discs, which is great. You've had the bonus disc in there. But, yeah, most of the time those are, uh, yeah, there's not a whole lot there. Pawn shop, I even throw, like, Goodwill in there. Yeah, I didn't even uh, think about that. Yeah, those are pretty much the, exactly the same. They yeah, will either have nothing or it will basically be free. <laughs> yes. We just went to Goodwill a couple weeks ago just kind of look and see if there are any games there, and there wasn't uh, wasn't much there. Nothing really. Yeah, it's usually a stack of like ten to fifteen sports Mads. titles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I mean you can find that anywhere. The best part about Goodwill stores, though, and pawn shops is it's a pretty quick in and out. That's true. They either have stuff or they don't, and they usually don't have a very big selection. Well, didn't you get your Sega CD at a Goodwill though? 
The console? Yeah. Mm, or like the Salvation Army Goodwill, something like that, I was that's thinking. A good, that's a good question. I didn't write that down in my journal. <laughs> I, I honestly don't I honestly don't remember. I don't remember too many of the games that I specifically that I picked up at a pawn shop. The first one that came to mind, which was not a pawn shop, was I I can't remember, was I with you when we went to the the book broker in Evansville and I found <laughs> uh was it Ogre Battle Tactics or Tactics Ogre? I don't know if I yeah, I was gonna say I don't remember if I was with you. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. But that place was a uh, definitely a good game, and uh, it was pretty rare even back in the day. It was a Tac- Tactics Ogre. It's not a good game. I mean, you you have to throw rocks at your team. Yeah, level up. That's, that's right. I forgot. It is a monotonous game. <laughs> not a bad game. Just not that fun. Until you get ripped. I mean, it makes total sense. That's very true. That's very true. Thankfully, I didn't buy that one for full price. <laughs> so I got a I got a question for you, Buck. What was one of the or what was or what was some of the first games that you ever bought that you ever you know added to your collection with your own cash? Wow. Let's see here. That's it's going in the wayback machine there. I it is. It. I remember being so hyped up uh, from back from reading Tips and Tricks magazine about the original Pokemon coming out, which is blue and red, or I believe it was red and green there in Japan. And I was so hyped up for that, and I got that, I think, the day it came out, and then I went and spent the night at my buddy Dell's house, and we literally stayed up all night and played Pokemon, and we were just mesmerized by it back in 98. Yeah, that's the first game that I ended up buying, too. It's not definitely, obviously not the first game either one of us owned, but it was around that time. We were about 10 years old when that game came out, and I didn't buy it until I met you, you told I think it was it was either the day I met you or the day after you told me you got to go get this game. You yeah. Go get this game. And I remember I went to the store. I went to the local Kmart with my parents, and it was between it was between Pokemon and Turok Two on the Game Boy Color. And choice right there. <laughs> I know, right? And I was like, oh, that Turok game sure looks cool. Uh, thankfully, I picked Pokemon. You had a good influence on me there. <laughs> and and just like you, that that game changed everything. Pretty much, there was the the depth of that game in comparison to anything that I played. Basically, the only systems I played up to that point were Atari, Nintendo, and Sega Genesis. And I'd never played an RPG up to that point. And just the the concept of you know catching all the Pokemon and just having to learn that kind of a game uh, with my wee little mind for the first time, I was just like, wow. And back in the day, it felt like 150 Pokemon was an infinite amount of options for a team there. Like, it was mind-blowing to have 150 different, you could choose, you know, six of them to put on a team. And then, I mean, some of us, like you, leveled them all to level 100 in, like, two days. Because <laughs> you're ridiculous. Yeah, well, I am. And <laughs> I, I think I think if anybody sees where this conversation is going, we could probably have a whole other episode just on Pokemon and our experiences even just playing the first generation, let alone all the other ones. Yeah, for sure. I was gonna say, hey, oh, go ahead. The one of the first games that I remember getting with, uh, like, specifically saving up money for, for that game. The other one would be uh, probably Mega Man X4 on the original PlayStation there, back in '97. Like everyone else was hyped for Final Fantasy VII, or maybe you for Symphony of Night, but I was a uh, one X4 for sure. Remember, I wasn't hyped back then because I didn't have a PlayStation when those games came out. That's true. I basically um, 
when we met, you liked to read a lot of books, and I kind of corrupted you. <laughs> you did. Now I read one book every two years <laughs> just to prove that I can still do it. <laughs> so that's pretty important. But, yeah, I remember uh, being super hyped because I um, had Mega Man X 1 through 3. Those were uh, some of my favorite games uh, growing up, really still are uh, some of my favorite games, and had all those. And, thankfully, I mean, those are uh, worth a pretty penny these days, so I'm glad I don't have to go back and try and find X3 cartridges or anything. But, yeah, I was uh, super hyped for X4. It looked way different. You could be zero. It was on a new system. So, yeah, that was uh, that and Pokemon were kind of the first two. Yeah, I didn't actually start buying games at full price probably outside of on the Game Boy. Uh, I, I did, would buy the occasional game on that console. I didn't start buying brand new games until about the PS2 era. Uh, that's when I had enough expendable income and I was willing to actually drop that amount of money. Because yeah. uh, back when I was younger, I was stingy. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yours almost maybe that you... You know, not, like, didn't have a necessarily a ton of income, but even so, you would rather buy six $10 games than one $60 game. Right. And, and while that may make me sound cheap, keep in mind I had a lot of catching up to do. So I was I was not hurting for good games. The, the catalog was there. No, and your dad was uh, a, he was a phenom when it came to, you know, getting old games and uh, buying out rental stores, like basically all their Super Nintendo catalog. He'd try and make deals with them. So you had a... You got a pretty big catalog pretty quick. Yeah, I mean that's a, I mean that's a, a whole nother explanation there. Uh, my dad was pretty much an all-star trying to uh, collect music, games, books, movies. Uh, he loves that kind of stuff. And when I got into video games, uh, we kind of made that a hobby together, kind of unspoken. So when we went to pawn shops and stuff like that, we'd look for that stuff. But also when I would, when I didn't get a chance to go with dad, let's say he was out of town. Uh, for business, he, he'd hit up the local stores wherever he was, and he would pick things up and then uh, save them uh, for holidays or whenever. Uh, but at, at a certain point, he got too much stuff, and he couldn't <laughs> store it anymore. And there was, uh, there was one day, I don't, I, I, I don't even remember. I think it was, well, that was in high school when the, uh, when the big drop occurred, wasn't it? Do you remember oh, that? Because yeah. Were you over there, or did I just call you when that happened? No, I'm pretty sure you called me. I remember you called me way back in the day when we were in uh, early middle school when you, like, found some of his stash and you knew some games you were getting. But when the big drop happened, I think I was actually over. Yeah, Dad, I'm sure you're listening. I knew where the stashes were. (laughs) I figured that out. Uh, Yeah, no, I think actually uh, back in high school I was a big old dork. I was in marching band, and I think I – I think I came home from practice or something one day over the weekend, and uh, my room was just like covered in Super Nintendo games. It was very, it was very odd and surreal. It's just like, what exploded in here? This doesn't make any sense. And uh, Dad was like, "Well, I don't have anywhere to store these, so I'm just gonna give them to you." And it so was, we, it was, it wasn't just like you know, Madden 94, it was everything. It was um, multiple copies of Chrono Trigger, several copies of X3, the Mega Man X games, Mega Man 7. Like, it was all kinds of games. It was basically everything. Yeah, no, it was it, it was a good at least 200 Super Nintendo games at that point. I don't know if he'd, if he'd unloaded the Sega Genesis games on me at that point. <laughs> but but uh, that was, like, better than Christmas. It was, like, a random day in July. 
I should I should have noted the dates because it's pretty awesome, but it's super overwhelming because that marked the point where I always had more games than I had time to play. So I remember uh, me and Buck, we used to spend hours in my room trying to figure out what we were going to play. Might, might have spent more time <laughs> trying to figure it out than we did actually playing them. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. So we had, I had this, this big old, um, I have several cabinets actually in drawers that just had just rows and rows of Super Nintendo games. And uh, every time we got together, we'd, we'd tried three or four of them. So and some of them were some home runs and then and some of them were peacekeepers. That's true. That's right. So. It's like the biggest home run you can get. That's right. At least the second time we played it. <laughs> That's a nod to people who listened to the first episode. Right. And go buy Peacekeepers. They have a gel right. collection that just came out. They re-released it. So Super Nintendo cartridge you can get. Um, all of them on there. Go buy it. Yeah, we didn't plug that last time. No, I feel like... Is that actually was- officially out already? Or that is officially out. It was around, uh, out around Christmas last year, I believe. Oh. Well, that explains why I haven't seen it. Because I haven't been out of the house since Christmas last year. <laughs> too much going on, too many games to play. So we're going to kind of segue over a little bit to the, some of your favorite finds there? Some of my favorite finds. Well, I have two particular uh, events that when I, when I thought about this originally before we got on, two that definitely stuck out to me. Uh, the very, very first one, which was probably the most important one, uh, which happened shortly after I got my Super Nintendo. Uh, and this was back in the day of rental stores. Yeah, we Those had were... five or six rental stores in our hometown that wasn't very big, only like ten or 15,000 people, and there yeah, were like how, how six those, rental stores. How those lasted is a, is a mystery. And I think the one that I went to, I think was that Showbiz video over there? Definitely Showbiz video, the one uh, it was Showbiz and it became Blockbuster after that, I believe. Yeah, I think that's right. Anyway, we went there, and this was right after I got my Super Nintendo, like I said. And the only games I had were Super Mario RPG and I think uh, Zelda A Link to the Past. And I went there, and they were having a, they were just trying to get rid of most of their Super Nintendo games. And at this point, I didn't have a, a vast well of knowledge on games. So, so when I saw all these games, it was like four for twenty, all in the box. Not necessarily with their manuals, but they're all in good condition. And I was just looking through the games, and I was like, I have no idea. The only ones I knew I wanted were Mega Man X3 and Mega Man X2, because I liked the Mega Man games on the original Nintendo. And then I remembered Buck telling me that I should play Super Punch-Out. Because it's an amazing game. Top ten game of the Super Nintendo easily. Yes. Probably one of my... I don't know, can I even count it as a sports game? May as well just be an arcade game. Yeah, Actually, it's an arcade game. <laughs> yeah. And then the fourth game, this is the one I had the hardest time deciding on. And it was just, be- it, and at that time, it was because I couldn't really find a game that I really wanted or that I thought I wanted. Uh, so I was looking through uh, the pile, and I came upon a copy of uh, Lufia 2, The Rise of the Sinistrals. I was like, I've never heard of this. It's okay. <laughs> I mean, the, the, the cover art's a little flamboyant, but it might be all right. I looked on the back, it's like, yeah, it's like little anime characters doing their RPG thing. Picked it up, and I, I kid you not, I got those four games for $20, and I would say X3, Super Punch-Out, and Luffy 2 probably ended up being 
three of my absolute favorite Super Nintendo games. And Lufia 2 was my favorite game for probably 10 years after that. It was, besides Pokemon and Super Mario RPG, it was the first RPG that I, uh, I, I really fell in love with. A traditional RPG, which does not get enough love nowadays, and I don't think enough people know about it. Yeah, because I think it even got a re-release back on the DS or 3DS, but then they uh, made like it's action combat. Yeah, we it? do not we do not speak of that remake. <laughs> speak of that remake, horrendous. It's actually not a terrible game, but it's not a good remake. Because I remember after you you got that haul too, you gave me a call, and then I went over there and got my copy of Captain America: and The Avengers. So. Is already got, did you get Crash Dummies over there too? I did get Crash Dummies and Captain America and the Avengers. Yeah, see, a lot of a lot of important games were bought that day. Also, I believe I got uh, Castlevania Bloodlines too for Genesis that day. Why I didn't buy that, I will never know. But actually, I, I definitely had a Genesis at that point. Yeah, I don't think you really were huge on Castlevania at that point. You played like, Castlevania three. Yeah, Castlevania 3 was really the only one that I had experience with at that time. Uh, that was, I mean, that was the first video game that I ever received as a gift. So, uh, and that was, that was actually like the first game I ever got after I got my Nintendo, because we had such a, we had a pretty small catalog at that point, because I didn't play a whole lot of games uh, until I met this guy. He ruined me. That's true. <laughs> yeah. And Castlevania 3 is my favorite Nintendo game. But uh, that, that's pro- that probably is why. I, 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 my love for the Castlevania series really didn't start until uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night on the PlayStation 1. At that point, too, you were looking to get some Super Nintendo games since you just got it. No, absolutely. Yeah, I wanted to ex- expand my library. Uh, but the decision to get Lufia 2, I will never regret that one. That was, that was probably my most memorable find. And then another one uh, that was probably a little more recent, Last, I don't know, three or four years, I was in Chicago visiting my brother. Uh, me and my dad, we went to one of the local Goodwill stores. And local Goodwill stores in Chicago are nothing like your average Goodwill stores you go into. They're like, they're like two stories, and they literally have a block, like a city block worth of clothes, and then they have like a jewel case in the corner. And... <laughs> It was so strange. I went in there and I looked at the jewel case and they had a Japanese copy of Castlevania Symphony of the Night and a, a complete copy of Elemental Gearbolt for the PS1. And they were both five bucks a piece and I picked those up. So that was easily my best goodwill find ever. Yeah, that's a ridiculous find right there, especially a Japanese copy of Symphony of the Night there. And I mean, Gearbolt, how do you oh, know ge- if I ever saw that in the wild? And maybe way back in the day, uh, in Electronics Boutique, we probably saw it on the shelf. But yeah, not out in the wild like that. Not in a place where it was easily affordable. And I mean, that game's not too terribly expensive unless you get the collector's edition these days. I think it's probably 50, 60 bucks. But $5 is better. Yeah, well, just a tad. So do you have any, do you have any other stories besides Captain America? Um, as far as, I'm gonna say, you know, not necessarily from rentals. I mean, I definitely... It doesn't have to be from rentals. Okay. No, I mean, I have some just great games that I picked up. Um, the Misadventures of Tron Bon, I don't think, is a game that many people have played. It's a PS1 game. I think it goes for around 200 bucks now, but I just um, loved it because Tron Bon's a character from the Mega Man Legends series, and basically if it was Mega Man related, I'm still all over it. And uh, got that back in the day for PS1 and put 
a ton of hours into that. It's um, another game, I think, that I took over to my buddy Dell's house shortly after, um, bought it, and I think we, like, marathoned that game and beat it in, like, a day or two. And that's an easy one to go back to. I mean, it's super fun. It's a little bit like Mega Man Legends, but I actually even like it um, a tad better than that. And I think it's on the PlayStation 3 uh, virtual console or whatever, the PlayStation stored there. So if you want to check that out, it's definitely... It is. Good. Actually, all of those are. All, of the, all those PS1 Mega Man games were. Oh, all the... If I remember, even Legends 2. Really? That's even Legends 2, even though it goes, it still goes for a fortune on the... With the actual physical disc there, and it's like ten bucks in the PlayStation Store. I actually don't even think it's ten. Like okay. it's five, but I could be wrong. It's uh, been Lunar a while since I've looked. Lunar Two is another one. Um, the original PlayStation Lunar Two Complete is one of my uh, favorite old school RPGs. And since that originally got released on the the Sega CD, there I know a ton of people missed out on it. And if it wouldn't have been for game magazines at the time, there I definitely would have missed out on it too. And yeah, it's uh, one of the few collector's editions I have. I usually don't like to spend a ridiculous amount of money on collector's editions. They shell out these days for like, like I think $200 for the Dragon Ball Fighters collector's edition or something ridiculous like that. And there was five minutes where you were thinking about that, I'm sure. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like Dragon Ball, so I'm like, well, maybe. That'd be sweet, but no. A little too much there for basically just the game. Yeah, your looter story reminds me, like I used to find... Especially in the PS1 era. I mean, that was really the PS1, PS2. That was really the the, the highlight of our collecting days. Yeah. And I that's where I got I got some RPGs I remember from Best Buy, and I used to get them for five or ten dollars there. Um, those were about the only games that they really discounted really well, and I think it was because the people that worked there did not know what they were. <laughs> and I mean, your average person that goes into Best Buy is not looking for a copy of Wild Arms 2. That's true. Which, which I got there for five dollars, which was very exciting. Really? And that was before five bucks at Best Buy. I, I did, yeah. Which is, I think that's your favorite game in the series. Yeah, that's definitely. I mean, three was really cool too, but you know. Yeah, but it's uh, not as cool as two. Not as cool as two. Two my was. First, oh, I still think the first one's better than those, but I'm just a huge fan of the series. I just like all of them. Uh, but that was that was even before that was around the days when I didn't actually start reading gaming magazines a whole lot until a little bit later after that. So when I went to the to the store, uh, which is something that we really haven't mentioned, uh, back before uh, video game magazines were a dime a dozen, especially in the uh, the original uh, Nintendo and Genesis Super Nintendo era. You didn't always know when game new games were coming out. So sometimes when you went to a rental store or you went to, you know, your local Walmart or wherever you went, there would just be new games on the shelf and it was very exciting. Yeah, it was always awesome. Even like I remember we were talking about the magazines there. I was subscribed to EGM for years. Electronic Gaming Monthly was my jam and I would uh trust their reviews uh for better or worse quite a bit there and was a uh, a pretty big EGM fanboy back in the day. It was definitely my favorite magazine. Yeah, no, they, they were definitely the best. And then GamePro used to be okay. That's true. Mm-hmm. Nintendo Power was always super biased. But Nintendo Power was way better back in the day. Like, original Nintendo era was when Nintendo Power hit its stride with its comics, and its it always had a couple of, sweet of posters. really <laughs> sweet posters, 
uh, really cool uh, walkthroughs and and maps of the games. And I mean that was back way 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 back before you had the internet, and that's all you had if if you needed hints uh, in any of the games besides paying twenty dollars a minute and calling the the Nintendo helpline. <laughs> Yeah, because good luck beating the original Zelda without the internet or some kind of FAQ or something, because... Or your mother's credit card. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, do you have any any other finds you want to talk about? (laughs) Well, as far as um, finds, I actually got a decent amount of stuff off eBay before before Saturn games exploded there. Uh, One of my favorite games, I think my favorite game period for the Saturn um, is Dragon Force. Which was a sweet strategy RPG, RPG where you'd have mm-hmm. about, a, <laughs> yeah, it'd be about um, it could be up to a hundred on a hundred battles at one time, and it's still pretty unique to this day. Not a lot of games have really copied that uh, that blueprint. Even it looks like the newest Fire Emblem actually, it's going to come out for the Switch. Looks like it's going to be uh, Army and Army, Army versus Army there. It looks like they're taking a page out of Dragon Force's playbook. And I believe I got that game for like 20 bucks off eBay, and now it's probably going to run you about 150 because Saturn prices are ridiculous. Yeah, that's true. I mean, a lot of games, oh, I don't want to say a lot of games, but I mean, definitely the Fire Emblem games are certainly going up in price. I know I have, was it, is it, is it like Eternal Darkness or something for the, uh, the GameCube? I can't remember which one it is on the GameCube. Sure, but I have a, it's a regular game for the GameCube. You mean like Path of Radiance? That, that might be. <laughs> Regardless, the one for the GameCube, there may have been multiple. Yeah, Eternal Darkness, yeah, it's not even close. That's a, that's a great horror game, though. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, that that game, I have I have it sealed, and I think that one's definitely going for over 100 bucks now. But that, that series just exploded in popularity around that time. Yeah, I would have never guessed that, too. And also, Shining Force 3 for the Saturn was another one that came out um, around the time Panzer Dragoon Saga did, the end of the lifespan there, and there's only a limited print run in the U.S. That was also another good one. And I guess one of my favorite finds in the actual store there was probably Conker's Bad Fur Day for, like, 10 bucks, and probably in, like, 2002 at an FYE store locally. Well, it's yeah, I mean, that's definitely a, a cool collector's piece. I know you don't like that game too much. No, it's not my favorite. I mean, some of my personal, you know, favorite games I have, the Mega Man Battle Network series. I mean, I have all of them, one through six, uh, complete in box there. And those are some of my favorite games that I don't think get enough love. I'd love to see more of those. They had them every year for the Game Boy Advance. I remember they came out every June. I'd always look forward to a new Battle Network game there. Do you not like the new, or I don't, I don't know what the new offshoots of those are, but they had some on the DS, didn't they? The Star Force games weren't near as good. I mean, they were all right, but it was uh, it switched it to uh, instead of like a, a card based uh, like grid battling system, it was a uh, like behind the head third person shooter battling system, which was just weird. Yeah, that was completely unnecessary. Yeah, they they had a good thing going. I don't think uh, they need to change it up, but those are still decent games, but definitely not the same as the Battle Network series. And then I do um, love me some Halo 3, so I do have the Halo 3 Legendary Collection there with the the big old helmet and everything else. So that's a, just a cool personal one I have there. Yeah, I have a couple. I have a couple of items like that too. I, we talked before the show. Uh, one of our, our our favorite items in our collections is our original copies of the original Pokemon games. Yeah, I had red and you had blue, and we still have them in the box with the instruction manual. Uh, the boxes could probably look a little bit better. At least I know mine could. Mine's actually, it's 
pretty freaking close to that mint there. And I actually have, um, like, the top shelf I have in kind of the back room with all the games and stuff in it there. I have just basically my favorite games all on that shelf there, and it's definitely, it's up there. Yeah, that if I if someone had if someone paid me to, but they wouldn't have to pay me. What games do you want to make sure that you get out of this burning building? That would be one of the first ones to grab. A lot yeah. a lot of sentimental value there. It's not, I mean it's it's not at the the top of my list of necessarily favorite games that I'll go back and play now. But it's uh, the best Pokemon game. <laughs> right, absolutely. Even though I felt a little bit more off at of that franchise than you did. Uh, that the second peak um, with gold and silver there. I don't even think that's an argument. I think that's that's a fact. Yeah, with the two full games in there, that game was just ridiculous. Yeah, a good, a, a very, very good surprise. Uh, and then other games on uh, in my collection, uh, Lufia one and two box copies of those, like I mentioned before. I've uh, been most of my Castlevania collection. A couple noteworthy ones uh, were Symphony of the Night, which I, I know everybody knows Symphony of the Night. Uh, and it was one of the very, very first PlayStation games uh, that I ever played. And shout out to my dad. I know this was one of the games in his stash. And I found this game early uh, before the uh, the holiday that I ended up getting it. And I, uh, I I played it for a few days, and that game was incredible. So that that's Symphony of the Night is my favorite game of all time. Uh, no contest. Uh, but a spoiler alert there. That could be a future episode. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, we could just have, like, one episode where we talk about games with the best middles, and it would be Castlevania Symphony of the Night and Pokemon Gold and Silver. Yeah, that would yeah. pretty much. Absolutely. I don't think we could go much further than that. but. <laughs> yeah, and, and you're talking about just um, kind of good games there and sentimental memories. Uh, the X-Series, especially on the, the SNES there that I've had... Um, way back since they came out, still have those, the original, like, box copies and everything there of X1 through 3. And he makes Mega Man X, just in case anybody doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> we touched on early in the episode, but yeah, it's pretty good you clarified that. Yeah, Mega Man X, as much as we've talked about Mega Man this episode. But yeah, definitely, it's uh, probably my favorite, I'd say, series overall. Not necessarily my favorite. Um, any one specific is my favorite game of all time or anything, but that's, I'd say Mega Man, just in general, is my favorite series. So those definitely mean a lot, and I've been um, loving Mega Man basically since I first played Mega Man 2, probably back in, like, 1989 or 90. So it goes back a long way there. A lot of history. A lot of history. Yeah, and that's that's what happened with me in Castlevania. And then my other collection that I have, I'm a huge Wild Arms fan. It's an RPG series that started out on the uh, the original PlayStation and then sadly kind of died on the PS2. Oh, it's coming back as a mobile game, though. Uh, <laughs> um, you know what? I'll take what I can get. I Disappointing. Disappointing. <laughs> but I honestly thought I'd never see another one because it wasn't that big of a series. So anything I can get, I'll, I'll be happy about it. And, that, and that's one series that even outside of the games, I like to... Uh, I'd like to collect different pieces of merchandise, like old demo discs, uh, different... I, I own all the player's guides, but I've also imported several of the Japanese player's guides because they're, they're a lot more in-depth. They have a lot of really cool artwork and stuff that I like to look at. Yeah. And then and then the last one, which is sentimental to both of us, sort of, even though I'm the only one that owns it, 
Uh, one of our favorite games that we've ever played together is Street Fighter Cross Tekken. Remove the fact that most people hate that game and have terrible <laughs> memories of it. We adored it back in its day and oh, still do. Sure. Yeah. And I bought the collector's edition when it came out. And the collector's edition came with a little plastic model of the arcade cabinet uh, <laughs> that you can create. I think it's like a bank or something. And, and that's something very sentimental, sentimental to me because that was, that was a game that we spent hundreds of hours playing together. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, something we could, that's also could have been our co-op episodes there because uh, we go online uh, together co-op and face um, usually one person, sometimes uh, two other people. This is the only fighting game I can ever remember where you can um, have yourself and a buddy playing on the same system to be able to take it online and um, just, you know, be able to fight people online. And uh, for better or worse, it was a... Uh, it was always a great time. Sometimes uh, one of us would kind of let the other one down and totally fail, but it was always a go-to every time we hung out there from, like, 2012 on whenever it came out. That's right. It was a, it was a fantastic game. I, I really appreciated that one. And it was, it was actually surprising because I didn't think it was going to be one of those fighting games that was really going to blow my mind because that came out, was it, shortly after Marvel vs. Capcom 3 did? Yeah, it came out in uh, 2012, and Marvel vs. Capcom 3, I believe, Ultimate was in 2011, I want to say. Yeah, shout out to that. That's probably, besides Marvel vs. Capcom 2, that's probably my favorite fighting game, and then Street Fighter Cross Tekken. Yeah, and I'd say, uh, I'd even throw Marvel Infinite up there, even though I know I'd probably get burned from the internet by that, but that is a great game. It's a fun game. I don't know, I, I wouldn't consider it a great package of a game. If we could just remove the story mode from it, <laughs> just just remove the character models. Yeah, those are atrocious, but the yeah. mechanics are super fun there. But and yeah. and they brought Mega Man back, which was fantastic. That's... Even even though I know you don't necessarily like him in that game. I do main Sigma though, so I always appreciate that. Yeah, that was out of left field. That they made him a playable character. Well, I guess it wasn't after he was so important in the story, but the fact that they even included him in the game was great. But yeah, I mean, Street Fighter Cross Tekken was, uh, like you said, it came out of left field there. Didn't expect to put a ton of hours or really like the game a whole lot. Figured it'd be like, you know, Tekken Tag, we put a few hours in there just kicking it around and, you know, have a decent time for a few hours. We thought Street Fighter Cross Tekken would be something like that. But, you know, a couple hundred hours later, it's not. Yeah, I agree with that. So do you have any, uh, what do I want to call them? I guess holy grails or just or games that you own in your collection that maybe aren't super, you know, maybe not super important to you, but you you've learned over the years that these games have just hiked up in price. Um, anything on the Super Nintendo? Well, um, that's yeah. <laughs> um, I would say there's a game called uh, Solitaire Robo for the uh, the Nintendo DS and. Uh, it's a sequel to a game on PS1 called Tales of Concerto that I um, honestly didn't play either one of the games. They always look cool, and um, one year I actually got uh, the Soul to Robo for Christmas, and I never ended up opening it. It's actually still sealed, and I think that goes for uh, several hundred dollars these days. It's not something truly really close to my heart, but it is an expensive game. And then also uh, Persona 1 and 2 on the, the PS1 there. And, I mean, I think I love Persona 3 from that forward. I think the series is great, but I'm not huge on 1 and 2, but they are. I think because of Persona 5 being so huge, they've jacked up the prices to several hundred dollars a piece there. 
Well, I think that's also probably what happened with uh, the two Tales of Destiny games, too. Oh, that's true. The Tales games getting so popular. But I actually think those are those are really good games, or at least I can... I mean, all the Tales games are kind of close together, and they don't stray too much from each other. But yeah, I really enjoyed the first uh, Tales of Destiny, and then I think the sequel is actually supposed to be called Tales of Eternity, if they call it Tales of Destiny 2 in the U.S. for... That's because we're dumb. You wouldn't have known. <laughs> yeah, those are those are pretty expensive. And then Bucky O'Hare on the original uh, Nintendo Entertainment System there, I think, is a, a triple-figure game, which is uh, it's actually kind of like a Mega Man clone. So that game is super fun if you track it down or have a, you know, want to track down an emulator ROM or something like that. I'd definitely give that one a try. Yeah, that's definitely a gem that a lot of people don't talk about. What about you? What's your kind of the, the holy grail there for you? I've got it. I've got a heck of a list. <laughs> uh, definitely from the Super Nintendos where, where most of my collection saw, uh, shines. Uh, I, w- I was looking online uh, before we got on, on, and I knew some of my games, like, you know, the Mega Man games on the Super Nintendo, we both have those. Right. Uh, a couple of those, X3 and Mega Man 7 uh, classics, those are those go for between 80 to 100 bucks loose. And then if you got the box... Was it two to three hundred? It's yeah. ridiculous. I don't know who's paying these prices. Yeah, I was watching one on eBay the other day. It was the instruction book for Mega Man Seven. Went for like a hundred and sixty-eight dollars. Who wants mine? <laughs> yeah. I got five of them. I think. And the person selling it showed where they had like um, wrote down like the boss order in the the back of the notes instruction book too, like the little notes section they used to have in those books. He actually wrote down like the boss order and what power worked on which boss too. And it still went for that much money. Well, I think that's why I went through that much. <laughs> that's a time saver right there. <laughs> Some of the other games that I have on the Super Nintendo, uh, Metal Warriors is a great side-scrolling uh, mech game. That one, I, maybe five, 600 bucks in box. Yeah, that was one. I think you got the rental copy from the local uh, place we used to, I used to rent it out at. I think that might also be the... The showbiz video there. I used to rent that game quite a bit, and then I think you ended up with that exact copy. Good. I'm glad I did. <laughs> I'm sure we picked it up for five, ten bucks. Probably. And then the last one for the Super Nintendo, and I feel bad mentioning this one because I can't 100% verify that I own it because I don't have my entire collection on me at the moment. But I remember it. I have a, I have a very vague memory of it in my, in my cabinet from my youth. Is uh, a copy, a full copy of Arrow Fighters, which is. Which is arguably the most expensive game on the Super Nintendo. It's a, uh, it's kind of like a a Raiden top-down uh, space shooter. It's a cool game, and I remember playing it. But I, I can't swear that I, it's in my collection. And then uh, you have it. You had a you got a pretty big collection there. So. Yeah, I had a pretty big collection. It was hard for me to remember all of them, but that was one that I just when I look at. When I went online and I did a Google image search of the box art, I was like, I, I swear I have that. I swear I have that. And I usually, and I remember most of what I have, but that was just a blur. I think it's just because it's, just because of, I guess how rare and how how many people want it and the price. I'm just like, well, I don't know. I can't verify when it's worth so much money. I don't, even, I, I don't even want to, I don't even want to say how much it is if I if I've already said it. Um, and then a couple of other items uh, that, I, that I'm pretty proud of, uh, especially on the Sega Genesis, I was actually surprised. First off, Sega Nomad System. I don't know why everybody doesn't own one of those. 
your mobile Sega Genesis system that eats through six double, I think it was six, six to eight double A batteries. <laughs> yes. it, it, I, I, it must have been 30 minutes. Uh, but it was, it was a super cool console because you just put your Sega Genesis games in it and, and play them on the go. And I found that that was a, a box copy of that. It's 300 bucks. That's insane, yeah. Ridiculous. Like, well, the batteries will take you a solid half hour. Before have you, a wall you, you can plug right into the wall, though. That's what you got to do. So it's real portable. Real portable. Because <laughs> it wants to play it on TV when you can plug it in the wall and play it on a handheld. Absolutely. And then a couple other classics on the Sega Genesis. I have a box copy of Crusader of Sinti, uh, The Punisher, and Mega Turrican, which were surprisingly uh, surprisingly up there. Yeah, the quantity. it was cool. We played that a decent amount there. That's a cool little beat-em-up. We didn't even mention that on our co-op episode. That's true. Should have. It is a fun game. Shout out to the Dreamcast because I don't even think we've brought that system up today. Outside of when you bought, outside of when we bought our consoles, uh, <laughs> best of games, I have a I have a pretty mint copy of Project Justice, which is a, a great fighting game on that system, amongst yes, all the other two uh, right schools. Yes, yes, which we both have that one too. Mm-hmm. Very good game, and then Banjo. Bangayo. I don't really know how to pronounce it. Right, Bangayo. I'm guessing the way it's spelled. I'm sure that's probably it. Uh, a great, I guess, arcade kind of shooter, twin stick shooter. If it was around these days, I feel like. Yeah, potentially. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed that one. Uh, and then I'm actually kind of surprised that the Dreamcast prices haven't uh, spiked up as much. As I, I thought they might, and I definitely don't want them to, but I know they will in the future. Give it a few years. Oh yeah, and I mean, I have, I have, I have a load of other games, uh, a couple for the PS2, Game Boy Advance that are worth, uh, uh, worth a decent amount. Uh, I would say uh, PS2, Blood Will Tell, is a is a really fun kind of like samurai inspired game. I always thought it was really unique because you played as this samurai who was trying, who it, the goal was to, like, hunt down these, I, I don't remember if they were, like, ghosts or just demons, I guess it would be. And you, when you kill them, you actually get parts of your body back. So, like, you kill an enemy, and you'll get, you'll get like, your shin bone back. And then the crazy <laughs> thing happens, you do that, and then you can shoot rockets out of your leg. It was so weird. Was well, I so don't weird. wonder they freaking took his shins, then, if it can shoot rockets. Yeah, I know. It was, it was a very, very strange and unique game, and I'd say if you get a chance, anybody should try and play that one. So it's like a weird Mega Man kind of. Except with body parts. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> and then on the Game Boy Advance, uh, I guess this could be even one of my, my holy grails. Uh, my Castlevania double pack with Harmony of Dissonance and uh, Aria of Sorrow. Uh, on the Game Boy Advance, I got a sealed copy of that. That's one of my favorite uh, pieces of that collection. Yeah, and I would just add into that, I have one also for the Game Boy Advance that I don't think a lot of people talk about was uh, Astro Boy Omega Factor. Uh, it was made by Treasure, who we talked about in the last episode, that made some great games there. It's one of my favorite. Um, it's really a mixture of a side-scrolling brawler and a shooter, and I think it's worth a pretty penny these days. But yeah, if you get a chance, definitely check that game out. It uh, deserves more love than it gets, and it's a, it's a great shooter and just a great Game Boy Advance game there. Yeah, and I do, want, I do want to make something clear to our listeners. Even though we're talking about, you know, these games that we have that are worth a, a good sum of money, that is not important to us. Even, at, even as we've gotten older, we don't look at games as, a, like, a financial investment. Uh, we, we've just always been 
uh, collecting games because we enjoy it. We And for me, uh, and I'm sure it's the same way for you, Buck, you only buy games now that you really, really want to play. Yeah, exactly. I just actually um, bought one today. It was uh, they had a, a used copy of Legend he- Legend of Heroes: Trails of Cold Steel. It's a PS3 RPG that I feel like most people missed out on there, and they had it pretty cheap for about twenty bucks at a local GameStop here a few miles away. So when uh, just picked that up, it's supposed to be a really good RPG, and plan on uh, playing that soon, checking it out. But yeah, we're not about flipping everything and uh, looking for looking at things like that. It's cool to know um, what some things are worth in case we would get in a, you know, a dire financial situation or something. It's nice to to have that as an option. But yeah, I mean, we're collectors at heart. Yeah, I mean, these games are a, a part of our childhood. And while when we were, or at least when I was younger, and I was picking up a lot of games for really cheap. I'm saying I picked up a lot of games for like five, ten dollars and so did my dad. My dad actually bought the majority of them because he very much enjoyed collecting them too. Which I I'm I couldn't thank him enough for that. I very much appreciate uh the bond that we shared doing that. A lot of great memories. But picking up that many games uh when I was younger I picked up a lot of games that I wouldn't necessarily say that I I wanted to play when I got them. It, when you Early on in collecting, at least for me, I bought a lot of games just so I could kind of pad out the collection or maybe I didn't know about the games. So I thought, hey, you know what, it's cheap, maybe it'll be okay. And you know, sometimes even getting a couple games that are, are really crappy, that can be <laughs> enjoyable too. And there, I mean, there was definitely a point in time where um had, you know, a little bit of money and I'd be like, oh, this game is, uh, wouldn't necessarily buy it at full price, but this game's 10 bucks, I'll check it out. And I really don't do that much anymore, just um being a little bit older, having financial responsibility, you know, married, everything like that. I don't usually just go out and look for uh, bargains like that. I look to buy things that I'm actually going to play now and... The number of games I have for the, the PS4 versus the PS1 and 2, I probably have a, a tenth of the amount of PS4 games and I have PS2 games, just for example. Well, that's true. You probably actually have a lot of them digital, too. Well, that's without true. Without even considering it. That, that's, a, that's a whole other can of worms to the, the collecting game. That's also true there. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, overall, just I have a lot less. Um, I buy less games now when I buy something. It's something I actually want to play versus, you know, this is cheap. That's a heck of a deal. Let's pick it up. Yeah, being adulting or being adulting. <laughs> adulting is hard. Yeah, you know, we don't have that. You know, the money that we had saved up that's not just ours anymore. We got responsibilities and things like that, which totally sucks. But you know, whatever. As long as you're living a happy life, that that's all. You, that's all we can ask. Definitely am. So can't complain there. Yeah, so, I mean, that that's kind of a history of, you know, our experience collecting throughout the years. We probably actually have a lot that we, we didn't cover in this episode, but we don't want this episode to be quite as long as our first one. We don't want you guys to take a nap midway through the podcast. That's true. Uh, but it, it was interesting, Mark, it was interesting hearing about some of your collection and, and uh, the games that you kind of held dear to your heart. Uh, a lot of them I knew, some of those I didn't. Yeah, and it was nice just to kind of wax nostalgia there with you. I mean, we don't talk about this stuff all the time. It doesn't come up in normal, everyday conversation, a lot of stuff like this. So it's nice to just uh, take a trip down memory lane and, and go through it for sure. Yeah. I totally agree. 
And one thing we even brushed over, and I was actually kind of amazed we didn't even talk about rental stores that much. Outside of that first one we went to, we didn't talk about that. I think that's just a great place to buy buy cheap games. Yeah, I mean, I got my copy of Sukunin 2. Sukunin, I can't speak. Sukunin 2 uh, for five bucks for a rental store going out of business, and that was another super fun game and it was a great find, so yeah. Definitely. Between the two of us, I think we own half the copies in the world. <laughs> you two own at least two or three of them. That's true. That's true. All right, guys. Well, I appreciate everybody uh, listening. I'm Chuck. And I'm Buck. And this is the Buck and Chuck Gaming Connection.